let's pray together. Our Father God, we uh, ask again, or echo uh, what's already been prayed uh, so well, we, I pray that, Lord, that we would come now, that we would hear your word, and that you would give us soft hearts uh, that would respond rightly to the King. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Some people love Christmas. Lots of people love Christmas, you know, but some people love Christmas. Um, I don't know if you heard the guy called Andy Park. Uh, I don't know if he's still doing it, but uh, he claims to celebrate Christmas Day every day. Uh, so for breakfast, there's the turkey sandwich and mince pies. Heads to work, turning around lunchtime for a full roast turkey dinner, watching a recording of the Queen's Speech with sherry in hand. Now, as I know, it's a while back, but in 2006, I don't know whether he's still going, but in 2006, he was quoted that over the previous 13 years, he consumed 4,380 turkeys, 87,600 mince pies, that's 20 a day, by the way, 2,190 pints of gravy, 26,280 roast potatoes, that's six a day, 30,660 stuffing balls, 219, I love this one, 219,000 mushy peas, <laughs> love how you worked that one out, 4,360 bottles of champagne, 4,380 4, bottles of sherry, and 5,000 bottles of wine. Yikes. Um, he was told to calm down by his doctor. Um, I, I, I don't know whether he did. You know, some people love Christmas. Uh, some people, lots of people love Christmas. Lots of us will love Christmas. Um, for some people, Christmas is a really hard and difficult time, actually. A time associated with loss and loneliness, many other things. Some people hate Christmas. You know, famously, Ebenezer Scrooge, the Grinch. Um, some people hate Christmas. Yeah, but some people hate Christmas not because they can't stand the endless Christmas songs that are going around in the supermarkets from October. Some people hate Christmas because they hate Jesus. They, they, they hate Christmas because they hate the Christ, the one who, whose birth we remember. Because today we're going to see that actually even from the very first Christmas, that Christmas divides. And again, it is not over whether Brussels sprouts have any place at a Christmas dinner. No, it is the response to Jesus. And so this morning, as we see from this very first Christmas, different responses to the Christ, well, it's going to challenge us as we think through our response and that's true whether you're here maybe just for the second time ever to church, maybe you came last week and you're back today, or whether you've been coming years and years and years and years. Actually, our response to Jesus, we need to consider afresh again this morning. Um, from your handouts, you see there, there, there are four headings. Loosely speaking, we're working our way through them, but we, do, we will kind of slightly jump. Um, so I'll, you'll, I'll leave it to you to kind of figure out where we are. But we're going to start off by looking at the king. The king. As you can see from verse 1, uh, we're looking at events which took place after Jesus' birth. So this is a few months, uh, likely, quite possibly over a year or so. 
and it is ta- in the time excuse me, of King Herod, in the days of Herod. Herod was the political ruler at the time, no, known as Herod the Great. Um, Herod the Great, if, partly because of his military and political, uh, and also his, apparently his building exploits, quite, quite known for, for doing uh, impressive things. Now, he was named King of Judea by Rome. And he is the ruler. And in this time, we have wise men come from the east. Now, you will have seen, I'm sure, many of these pictures like this um, on Christmas cards. And they are lovely Christmas cards. But I'm going to do a bit of Magi myth-busting for you. Okay, Magi the wise men. So first off is, they were not kings. Were you three kings? No, 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 no. These were wise men. Uh, They were into astronomy and astrology. They they were students of the stars. And we don't know how many of them they were. We assume there were three because there were three gifts. But uh, we don't know that. There could have been any. We certainly have no basis for calling them Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. They didn't go to the manger. Oh, that's ruined your nativity scene, hasn't it? They didn't go to the manger. So Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were in a house by then, uh, by this time. As I said, this is, could be even a couple of years after the, the birth. And sadly, we're not told in the Bible they rode on camels. But now I've thoroughly ruined all that for you. Let's see what we do know about them. They come to Jerusalem, and they are asking around town, verse 2, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They are looking for the king. In those days, indeed, that nowadays, there are, there are lots of kings, aren't there? But, but verse 2 shows us that there's something different about this king. You see, they're looking for the king of the Jews not to pay their respects, but they're looking so that they may worship him. Worship him. If King Charles were to say, I'm coming to your house this afternoon, I'm sure would be very respectful to him. I wouldn't worship him. No, who, who, who do we worship? What do we worship? Well, we worship God. Kings are worthy of respect. God is worthy of worship. What makes this king so special is that he is God. We saw that actually last week, if you were here, either in the morning or the afternoon. And if you just glance your eyes back to, um, uh, to chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, they're not just looking for a king. They're looking for the king. Jesus is God come to earth. God come to be with his creation. God come to reveal himself to his creation. And since Jesus is God, it means that he created everything. And therefore everything is rightfully his. Which is why he is worthy of this worship. This is the king who was born. The king of the Jews. Indeed, the king of everything. We move on to a king. I say we'll bounce back a little bit, but let's move on now to a king who rejects. 
See, the news of a newborn king doesn't generate quite the same excitement for Herod. Verse 3. When Herod the king, notice that, Herod the king, uh, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He's troubled. King Herod is troubled when he hears this. That word is, troubled is almost a bit light. He's in turmoil. He's greatly agitated. He's deeply concerned by this news. And for now, we don't find out why. And at first, his rejection is quite sly. Because he seems to be doing the right things. So verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So, you know, he's, he's the king. He gathers the religious elite, like the, the, the powerhouses in the religious world, and he says, Look, where, where, is this Christ, um, where is the Christ to be born? Verse 5, And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among, <coughs> excuse me, among the rulers of, of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You see, he's a he's good response. He wants to know where this king is, and uh, and, and when he hears, he, the right response seems to carry on. Verse seven. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "Go and search diligently for my for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him." You see, here's the thing for Herod. Did you notice how he describes the baby? They've said, here's the one, the king of the Jews. Herod says, where is the Christ? Where's the Christ going to be born? He recognizes this baby is the promised king that God had said he was going to send. He knows who this baby is. And he knows where that should lead him. That should lead him, verse 8, to worship him. Herod knows it, and he seems to want to be doing the right thing. But we know that actually this is just rejection. Even though that this uh, verse 6 is a, a quote from um, Micah, the prophet, about, written about 500 years before Jesus' birth, and even seeing all these things, No, he wants to reject. He rejects Jesus. You see, his apparent interest is just a mask for his murderous intentions. And actually, we know that later in the chapter, the reason he wants to know where this Jesus is found is so where where Jesus is born is so that he can go there and kill him to do away with the competition. And actually, we know that when that, as it were, the scalpel fails, he, he takes the carpet bombing option. So verse 16, and just skip on. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he'd ascertained from the wise men. 
you know, that word for furious, very much exceedingly angry. And Herod's real intentions are completely exposed. He doesn't want to worship this king. He wants to kill him. Because he's afraid of losing his place. Now historians, some of them uh, question this because we don't find these events written outside of the Bible. But actually they, these things fit very much with what we hear of Herod outside the Bible. His paranoia led, in, led to him killing various members of his family for supposed plots on his life. He's so bad that, that Caesar Augustus, he was the Roman emperor who put Herod in place. He, he was so bad that Caesar Augustus said that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Okay, he's safer as his pig than his son. He's not really, it wasn't really Jewish. He was made king by the Romans. He's not the rightful king. He's the pretender. And compared to the Christ, well, he knows that it's not his place and he's terrified of losing it. Did you notice? Um, I, I hadn't really spotted that. Uh, in verse 2, the, the wording of, I think is, is important there. It's, it says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? I think that wording is, is significant. It's not where is the one who is born who is going to be king of the Jews. No, he is born king of the Jews. This is who he is. He is the king, the legitimate king. Herod wasn't born to the throne. He was given it. Though it is rightfully Jesus. And Herod didn't want to lose his place, so it leads, leads him to reject Jesus in the most murderous of ways. Thirdly, the not kings. Sorry about that. I, just I got a bit carried away. Uh, the, the not kings. This is the wise men. The wise men. They worship. Let's pick up with them again in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What's the happiest you've ever been? That, that's what they were feeling when they found Jesus. That's what they felt. And they find him and they go into the house, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Can you imagine that? These, these wise men, respected, wealthy probably, come in and they see this child and they fall on their faces before him. Grown men bowing down before this child because they know this child is no ordinary child but the king. Not just a king but the, the king. And then verse 11 goes on. Then opening their treasures they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and uh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They give Jesus lavish gifts in recognition of who he is, expressions of worship 
given out of their joyful, joyful recognition of who this child is. And what a comparison that is, isn't it? What a, what a jarring and shocking comparison. You have the king, and on one hand you have a king who rejects the king, so much so that he's willing to slaughter uh, like babies and toddlers. Just got to get rid of that kid, that boy. On the other hand, you have these wise men bowing down in joy and worship. And that does leave us all with the question then of, well, us. How about us? How, how are we going to respond to Jesus today? How are you responding and how are we going to? Are we rejecting? Or are we worshipping? And as I said, this is a question for all of us. Particularly if you're a regular here, this isn't just a question for, for your neighbour who came uh, to the carol service last week. That's for you and for me. We might call Jesus the king, but, but are we living with him as our king? You see, as human beings, we, we all naturally suffer from the same problem as Herod's. We all naturally want to keep power for ourselves. We're desperate, we have that desperate desire to, to, to be self-sovereigns. You know, the sovereign is a king or a queen. We have this desperate desire to be self-sovereigns, to be king or queen over our own lives. We don't, we don't want to submit to anybody else. And, and, and note again that that is a, it's a moral thing. It's something we don't want to do. Again, let me remind you of Herod. Herod who knew that Jesus was the Christ. He knew that he should, uh, and it was right that he worship him. But no, he didn't want to. And he killed him. And Herod was by no means alone in, in his hatred of the king. If you read through Matthew's gospel through this Christmas time, see that actually Herod was simply the first very quickly the religious leaders would join them. But actually it was the crowds at the end of Jesus' life who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Roman soldiers, yeah, they were in on it too. You see, the vast majority indeed join in in rejecting that king. And perhaps you're here this morning and, and you know a lot about Jesus. Yes, you know, yeah, a lot, a lot about him. You've read huge amounts. You know that he is the king. But actually, maybe that is keeping you from trusting in him. Actually, it's the fact that you know he's king, that you know that if you trust in him, if you really believe, uh, believe that, then actually you're going to have to submit your life to him. But here's the thing. We, we can't have Jesus as the saviour from sins, and we saw last week he is, you should call his name Jesus because he, he will save his people from his sins. We can't have him, as it were, just as Jesus, saving from my sins and then not have him as our king. It's both. They go together. Again, if that's, if that's you today, this morning, bow the knee before him. He is the rightful king of your life. Step aside from that place and joyfully give it to him. But maybe, and maybe though you'd be thinking, well, 
He would never have you. He would never have you there. Actually, think of these, the wise men. These weren't Jews. These weren't God's people. They were uh, kind of pagan foreigners who, who didn't know much about anything, really. But they did follow through on what they knew. And that challenge of having Jesus as king, saviour, well, I say that's a challenge for all of us. Are, are there areas in our lives that we're refusing to give to him? We're not living with him as king. Perhaps there's one area. Is there a relationship? Work? Alcohol? Sexual purity? Gossiping? Prayerlessness? Unforgiveness? Is there something that you're clinging on to? Yes, it is hard, as it were. It is hard for us to step aside from that position of, of sovereign on our, our own lives and have Jesus there. But it is the right thing to do, and it is wonderful to do. I do want to be clear on this. It's, it's something that doesn't come naturally, but it is wonderful. Again, did you notice the, the wise men's response when they, they came across Jesus, when they saw the star and they knew that he was there? For they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It is good. It is good to see who Jesus is. It is good to worship him. It is good to submit to him. He is the king. He is the king Jesus who came to save his people from their sins. Because we all fail to do this, don't we? We all fail to live with him as our rightful king. But he is Jesus, King Jesus. One who would come and die on a cross for those times when we fail. Because he is the great king, our saving. Do you love Christmas? Indifferent to Christmas? Do you hate Christmas? And again, I'm not talking about all the, the trimmings and all the different things that are going on. The key question for us is, do we love the Christ of Christmas? Or do we hate him? That's the challenge for all of us. The warning of Herod. The warning of actually he knew who Jesus was and he didn't want anything to do with him. And then we have the great example of the wise men. Not knowing much, but knowing that he was the king, hunting him out and worshipping him. How are we going to respond? It's Christmas time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for these words. Thank you for showing us the King. Thank you for sending the King, creator of all, come to be with us on this earth. We praise you for that. And please, Father, would you reveal him more and more to us, particularly through this Christmas time, through the busyness of everything that's going on. Yet would our eyes be fixed upon Jesus. And as we see him, we would worship him and serve him gladly and joyfully through this tough season. In Jesus' name, amen.